16-year-old, I got to go on my first mission trip. And so uh, we just got a new youth pastor, and he was challenging us to kind of get outside of our comfort zone a little bit. And so we went to, to South Florida, Boca Raton. Boca Raton, it's a uh, pretty fancy place. And so they have pretty much everything that they need in Boca Raton. It's pretty wealthy. It's one of the wealthiest counties in the, in the U.S. and in the world. And so we're down there doing a mission trip, and uh, we were doing VBS and backyard Bible clubs. And so one of the places we were doing backyard Bible clubs was actually on the beach in Boca. And um, I don't know if you think about this, probably one of the worst places you could do a backyard Bible club is on the beach um, because people are not there to do Bible study, right? And so here we are. My youth pastor says to me, Chris, you've got a team together. Y'all are going to go do a backyard Bible club on the beach. I showed up at the beach, and I didn't want to study the Bible anymore. I wanted to study the beach as well. And so here we are, 16. All of us are like 13, 14, 15, and we're out. And, um, I mean, when you show up at the beach and you start pulling out your stuff for a backyard Bible club, people kind of look around like, what are you doing? And then we actually had to go out and begin to invite. So kids were playing and building sandcastles or whatever. We'd have to walk up and say, hey, we're so-and-so, and we're with this church, and we're going to be doing a backyard Bible club over there. And, and again, most of the parents are like, hmm, I don't know if we can trust you or whatever. And we're like, no, we're right over there. We're going to be in full view of everybody. And so we go through this whole process to do uh, Backyard Bible Club. Incredible week. It was first day. We had one kid, like, woohoo, you know, exciting. There's 12 of us, and we're like, one kid, yes. You know, we're rotating around, and then the next day there's a few more and all this stuff. Well, on the very last day, there was one kid, and uh, he's about 12 years old, almost 13. And he'd come to the Backyard Bible Club and listen to the stories. And, and, um, and actually, his parents weren't there. We're like, hey, where are your parents? And he goes, oh, they're somewhere. We didn't know where they were at, but he was there, and he was a captive audience, and began to share and talk. And after the Backyard Bible Clubs, we were just kind of hanging out a little bit, and he was down at the beach waterfront and kind of building a sandcastle. And I just, you know, hey, this is an opportunity to kind of get to know this little kid a little bit and spend some time talking to him. I got to know his story and shared a little bit of my story. And there was this moment in that time of that conversation that became extremely evident to me that it was my opportunity in that moment to share my story of how Jesus had transformed my life. Even as a 16-year-old, you're thinking, hey, it hadn't a whole lot happened. But listen, 16, there's a lot. We have stuff. We've, if you're past two years old, you've got a past, right? Even two-year-olds. I mean, they got, some, they got a lot of stuff they're doing at two years old. Man, they're throwing tantrums and fits and all that stuff. And their stuff stinks, right? Their stuff stinks too. And so at 16, here you are. You're thinking about what God is doing in your heart and your life. And, and my youth pastor had kind of thrown me into this situation. And so we're sitting there talking. And at that moment... I knew that it was this moment that I needed to be sharing my story of how Christ has transformed me and sharing my faith with him and sharing the good news and the gospel and the hope that this could, could have. And I got to that very point, and like all great evangelists, I get up and I leave, and I go to my youth pastor and I say, Hey, Ken, come help me share the gospel. And he, the wise person that he was, he looked at me and he said, It's not my turn. It's not my story. It's yours. And he sent me back, this quiet, shy kid, and I sat down in front of him, and I was scared to death. And in that moment, shared the story, the good news of Jesus, and how he could be amazed by the grace, and if he would admit, believe, and confess that he could have the same Jesus that I had. And he could have a father that would, is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that he could have forgiveness of sins, and that he could experience what it means to to want and to cry out and say if, if more of you jesus 
means less of me than you can have everything. Understanding at that, that age and kind of trying to tell that story and seeing this young man say yes to Jesus. It was in that moment that I understood that found people find people. That whenever you've received Jesus and you've found him and you understand and you're in that moment and you're amazed by the grace and you sense that God's calling you to share your story, that found people find people. You have these eyes that are a little different. And I don't know what in that moment, I don't know what my 16-year-old brain was thinking to sit down with a 12-year-old kid and to, to make sandcastles. That was the last thing that I would normally do. But here I am in the midst and I'm sharing my story and this young man said yes to Jesus. And you would think, wow, that's awesome. You go back and, and you're fired up. You go back to campus. This is, you know, in July. And you think August is starting, football starting. You have a great opportunity to share your story. You're fired up to do that. Well, for two years of football, I stretched with the very same guy. We would, you know, do our little warm-ups and we'd stretch and do our whole thing. And we would talk before practice, before games. And we'd grown up together for quite a while now. But, I mean, when you're stretching someone, you're pretty close, Okay, and so we're talking and all kinds of stuff's going on and we're just talking. And sometimes we would just start to talk life. Sometimes we would talk faith and all this. And my friend Trey, through all this, admitted, hey, he goes, hey, I don't know. I don't understand this whole Jesus thing. I don't know. I think everybody gets to go to heaven if you're good and, and all that. If you're good, outweighs your bad, you're going to get to go there. And so we kind of talked about it a little bit. But, but in those moments, there wasn't the same passion. There was fear. I knew Trey. Growing up with Trey. Knew his story. He knew my story. He knew my stuff. I knew his stuff. And so in that moment, the same enthusiasm it was to share the story on the beach, there was something that held me back. And the day after, week after we graduated, I'd gone back. We'd gone to camp as a youth group and gone to camp. And I'd come back. And that very Saturday, I opened up the paper. And there's my friend. Trey's picture, not in the front of the paper, but in the obituary. That Thursday, he'd come back from, from school stuff and got an orientation and come back, and was, somebody turned in front of him and he killed him instantly. And in that moment, as we lined up the next week and we're all at his funeral and we're all wearing Jerbeau shorts and all the cool stuff, and it was hideous-looking stuff. But we were there and we were lining and we were filing past and looking at Trey. And God spoke to my heart. For such a time as this, Chris. You had two years to tell your story. Every time that Trey asked you a question, you put it off. Every time that you had that moment, the same moment that you had at the beach with the 12-year-old boy, there was one of your best friends who asked these questions of you. Do you believe this, Chris? You, you go to church, you're in youth group, you're, you're actively involved in all this stuff, and I see that there's something different about you. Do you believe this? Do you truly understand? What, what, why do you believe in this Jesus? What's, what is all this about? And every time that we would kind of get to that point, I would change the subject or I would just kind of let it pass or we would do something else. And every single day that I wake up, As a follower of Jesus, from that day, I'm reminded of walking by Trey's casket. And God's saying, for such a time as this, tell your story. This morning, I want us to have just this one question. Why is Jesus so important? 
why is Jesus so important? As we look at John chapter 1, John begins the story, and he's got Andrew and Simon and all the disciples. They've been, some of them have been hanging out with, with John the Baptist, and Jesus walks by. He's already been baptized by John the Baptist, and Jesus walks by, and John the Baptist calls out, and he says, there goes Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Anointed One. And so Andrew, another disciple, they follow after Jesus and they catch up and they say, hey, where are you going to be hanging out today? Where are you going to be having lunch? And we want to talk to you. And so Andrew and the other disciple go with Jesus and they begin to talk with him. And at some point during that conversation, Andrew gets up and he leaves. And in verse 41, it says this, Andrew went to his brother Simon, which we know as Peter, told him, we have found the Messiah which is the Christ. That's our responsibility as followers of Jesus. Those that have said yes to Jesus, our responsibility is to hang with Jesus and then to go and to pursue other people and say, listen, I have found the Messiah. I have found the one that brings life everlasting. I have found the promised one. Come meet him with me. Such a simple responsibility, and we find all kinds of reasons and excuses and things that keep us from taking that next step because we know Jesus, but the next step is to go and bring people to him and to say, listen, I've been amazed by his grace. He knows my stuff. He knows me in and out, and he still says he loves me. I've never been loved in this way before. I've never been cared for by this way before, and we should be bringing people to him and saying, meet this Jesus. But for some reason, some reasons for each one of us keep us. We buy into a lie that our story is not good enough. Our story is not bad enough. We haven't done enough. And we buy into all these different excuses and reasons for not bringing people to Jesus. Found people, find people. My prayer for us here at Second is that you are reminded of the moment that you said yes to Jesus and what you experienced in that moment in the coming days where you understood that you were forgiven, that you were amazed by that grace and you began to see the transformation that God has made in your heart and your life and you begin to see things differently, you begin to see people differently. And life is lived with a whole new passion and a whole new purpose. It's not about us as much anymore. It's more about him and and pursuing people to say, listen, have you met this Jesus? Come meet the Jesus that I know. Why is Jesus important? Because all of us have a past. All of us have made mistakes. No perfect people are allowed here, right? So all of us have stuff and we have things that we try to do. We try to cover up the stench with sprays and colognes. We, we try to bottle it. We try to push it away. We, we try to blame others that it's my mama's fault, my daddy's fault, my teacher's fault, whoever's fault. I've done this or do this. And we even try to, some of us, we have this loop that we over and over and over again that we've bought into that you're not good enough. And it's because of this instance or these instances. And so you just play them over and over and over again. And you have that moment where you sense that God's saying, listen, that person needs you. That person needs you to be present with them. That person needs your story. Something about your story is is important for them. They need it and you sense it. But then all of a sudden that movie begins to play and you say, not my story, not me. And they buy into the lie of you're not good enough. Listen, you are not good enough. You never will be. Your, your story will never be just right. It doesn't matter if he's called you to be there and to be present. Share your story. God does the work. You just are there sharing your story. 
my past, for my past, Jesus offers forgiveness. Why is Jesus important? Because all of us have a past and our pasts are forgiven through Jesus Christ. This is the part that trips most people up is that it's so simple that we trip over it. That you tell people, because we, we have this human nature that we think that we should earn good. We should earn our rights. We should earn our wages, right? And we should do that, right? If you don't clean your room, you don't get to eat. Is that the rule at your house? Okay? All right. If you don't get to, your room clean, you don't get to eat. And so we kind of train this up. Like, hey, listen, if you work hard, then you'll, you're, the scale goes here, right? If you make A's, you're, you're so much more important, better person if you get A's than if you get C's. Right? Yeah, definitely. All the teachers are like, well, of course. Right? But sometimes there's, sometimes a C is better than an A. Let's be honest. There's sometimes that, that some stuff, it's better to have an A. Anyway, that's a whole different sermon. My past is forgiven through Christ. And for some reason, we still live in this lie that we have to balance the scales and, and I have to earn and I have to do good. And so, so many times we feel like our bad is here and we have an opportunity to share our story. But because we feel bad up here, we don't understand that the truth is that there, we're here not because of what we've done, but because of who Jesus is. The scale is always here. We're always right with God if we've said yes to him. And so the opportunity to go there, but we so depend upon our feelings instead of understanding and believing in the truth that we don't share the story. Paul is one of the great, if not the greatest theologian who knew the Old Testament forward and backward. He had an encounter with Jesus, a dramatic encounter with Jesus. And that's one of the lies that we buy into is if we don't have a dramatic encounter with Jesus, it does, we don't have a story. We're, if some of you have grown up in, the church, and grown up in church, you've kind of experienced this thing where you've transformed over a period of time, but there's definitely a moment with Jesus. So Paul's in this place where he understands the Scripture and he's had this dramatic encounter with God and he's gone from someone who's holding the cloaks of people that are stoning the leaders of the Christian church to being a leader of the Christian church and actually having stones thrown at him. His life has been so transformed and so upside down. Now he's on the other side of this whole thing. He says this to the the Jews in the synagogue where he was teaching. Brothers, listen. This is how simple the good news of Jesus Christ is. We are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there's forgiveness of sins. In other words, this idea of forgiveness is totally wiped away, that you are forgiven now, forever, forever. There's nothing you can do in the future that is not forgiven, that he knows everything about you. And when he died for you, it's totally wiped away, clean slate, forgiveness for your sins. Everyone, who? Uh, I'll say it louder. Who? Are you everyone? Yes. Okay. So you're a part of that everyone, right? It doesn't matter your education. It doesn't matter your gender. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter. It's for everybody. Everyone who believes in him is made right. This is that whole thing that you were trying to do the scale thing. But in that moment that we believe in him, the scale goes from where we feel bad about our sins that all of a sudden we're here because of his righteousness. Everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight. The judge says you are not guilty. You are found right. Something the law of Moses could never do. Listen, this is the gospel. He tells us in that verse, admit that you've messed up. Admit that you've sinned. Believe in your heart. Believe and hear that you have messed up and that what Jesus did on the cross is sufficient to cover over your sins and your stench. 
and confess it with your mouth. It's so simple we trip over it. Admit, believe, and confess. And in that moment that we admit, believe, and confess, something happens that's instantaneous. You experience forgiveness. And listen, I don't know about you, I don't know what your experience was, but that was probably one of the first times in my life that I was overwhelmed in a way that I could not fully explain, that I knew that I knew that I knew that Jesus had forgiven me. And again, it's one of those things I can't, I can't explain it. You can't explain it once you've experienced it. It's one of those things of, listen, that's why the New Testament says, you shall know Jesus. It's not an intellectual no, but it's an experiential no. There's kids in the room, but it's kind of like husband and wife, no. Honestly, that's what it's talking about. That kind of no, an intimacy that you know in that moment that Jesus knows you and you have forgiveness. Admit, believe, and confess instantly and completely. That if he wasn't complete, if the forgiveness wasn't complete, he'd have to go back to the cross time and time again. Instantly and completely we receive forgiveness. He knows all of our stuff. Why is Jesus important? He's important for our, for our past. He's important for our present, that we have life and life to the full. John 10.10 10 says this, The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But my purpose, Jesus, is to give them life that is rich and satisfying. Listen, one of the things that being a youth pastor for a long time that I would tell students over and over and over again is it's okay to be innocent. There's so many things that are available to students, to young adults, to 8, 9, 10 years old, the movies, the internet, all those different things. There's a ton of stuff that's out there that their souls and their minds are not ready to receive. They don't even know who they are, and now we're putting stuff in front of them that they're not able to grasp. And so what we need to do as adults, what we need to do as, as mommies and daddies and teachers, whatever, in those roles, is we need to be able to set some boundaries and say, listen, I love you and I care about you and I want you to have life without some shame, without some pain, without some regrets. And as a part of that, I'm going to say no to some things for you until you're ready for it. And let's be honest, there's some things that we partake of as adults that we shouldn't partake of. Because we should still maintain some innocence in some areas of our lives. And sometimes we just think, I'm an adult, and you know what, I've, I've reached the, I can do the motion picture thing, and so now because it's R or whatever it is, I, I can go and see that. There's still some things that we should not be partaking of because it takes away a little bit piece of our heart and our mind and our soul. Jesus gives us life to the full, and, and one of the things that he means by that is, is he's given us some boundaries. And, and what the world tells us is that if you take a bite of this, that it's rich and satisfying, and we take a bite of it, and as soon as we bite of it, we have shame and pain and regret and remorse, and we're like, why in the world did I believe that lie when we knew the truth? And the truth was is that this right here is more than enough. That if I just experience everything that's here that God has for me, that is more than enough. How can we exhaust his riches? Is he, if he is truly the king of the king, king of kings and lord of lords and everything at his disposal, how can we exhaust his riches? But for some reason we see something that's so awesome for so long we get bored by it. My prayer for us is that we continually are amazed by his grace. 
that the calluses of our heart that we build up because of the lies that we believe, that we would allow them to be sloughed off, and that sometimes that's painful and it hurts. Sometimes as a parent, discipline does hurt, but it also knows that the end is the means. Jesus is important for my current life. As a matter of fact, there's a story about Paul and Silas, and they were out preaching, and there was healing, and all kinds of cool stuff was going on. As a matter of fact, they were one of the things that they did is they healed a demon-possessed girl. And this demon-possessed girl was owned by people. She was a slave of them, and she was fortune-telling. And as she was fortune-telling, people were throwing money. So the owners enjoyed having this girl that was demon-possessed because she was fortune-telling. They were making money off of her. All right? And so here Paul and Silas come along, and they see this young girl enslaved, demon-possessed, but also enslaved by being owned by somebody. They walk up, and they heal her, and the demons leave. Well, guess what? She can't do anymore. She can't tell fortunes. That means those guys are losing money, and they were mad. And so they told a lie about Paul and Silas and got him thrown into prison. And so Paul and Silas are in prison, and I don't know about what, what you know about prisons, but they're not like today. They don't have 54-inch TVs or 55-inch TVs and weight rooms and air conditioning, and you get whatever kind of meal you want. If you're gluten, you get gluten-free and all this you think I'm lying. It is true. You get what you want. They live sometimes live better than we do. And so they got all this stuff. And so back in those days, they were in dungeons. They were way underneath. It was stenchy. There were not potties. There were not. And so you're like throwing stuff down in there, and it is nasty. And Paul and Silas are in this prison. The circumstances around them, they don't know if they're ever going to get out. Here they are in the midst of this, and they begin worshiping. They begin singing, begin praising, begin praying. And people around them are going, what in the world are these dudes doing? Do they not know where they're at? And in the midst of that, some would say coincidence, I would say God. In that moment, there was an earthquake that happened that all of the doors of the prison opened up. Now you can imagine, it's nighttime and there's only one jailer. They've already been fed. Everybody's supposed to be asleep. Paul and Silas, the two crazy guys, are down there singing. They're doing karaoke Jesus songs, and they're doing their thing. All of a sudden, an earthquake, and that jailer is thinking he's probably about to pass out if those guys would shut up. And all of a sudden, that happens, and he's like, what in the world is going on? And you can imagine the fear. He literally, he takes out his sword and is about to take his own life because he doesn't want to experience what's going to happen. And Paul and Silas call out and say, hey, guy. We're still here. Everybody is still here. He's like, these guys are fools. And he goes down and he takes Paul and Silas and he walks them out of the prison. And he says, I need to know that Jesus. I need to know that Jesus. That when everything around you and everyone is saying that your life is junk and it looks like it's junk, that in the midst of the most dankest, darkest, most desperate place you can possibly be, you can still say, Jesus is Lord, and I have everything I need, and you are more than enough. Take everything from me. And you can still do that. I want to know that Jesus. The question for us, for me, is do I live life in such a way that people are saying, Chris, I want to know your Jesus? More often than not, probably not. I want to know that Jesus. Jesus offers life and life to the full. Jesus is important for our past, our present, and our future. In John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, Jesus has walked up on Mary and Martha, and he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. But before he does that, he has a question for Martha, and he asks this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never ever die. Kind of explains it even further. Martha, do you believe this? Martha, do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? Martha, do you believe that if you believe in me, you will have life eternal? Martha, do you believe this? And Martha said yes. For us this morning, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, the life. I have come that you may have life to the full. I have come so that you might have forgiveness of your sins. I have come that you might not have the stuff of the past. You don't have to hold on to the shame, the regrets, the pain of the old life, of even some of the stuff that you're still struggling with. You can have forgiveness of sins. You can have full life, no pain, no shame, no regrets. You're the child of the king. You can have access to the father. You can have all of this stuff. Do you believe that what I did on the cross was sufficient to cover over your mess? If you believe that, admit, believe, and confess. You can have life now to its fullness and life in eternity. This is just a taste. Those moments where everything you just sense that God is just oozing all over you is just a taste of the moments. As a matter of fact, Jesus says at that moment that you say yes to him, that you receive a deposit of the Holy Spirit. That in that moment, God takes residence with inside of you, that just a deposit of the Holy Spirit resides with inside of you. And so in those moments, whenever life is crumbling down around you, you can say, Jesus, I thank you. For forgiveness. Father, may we be amazed by your grace again. This morning, do you believe this? That Jesus has given his life for you. That he's given you access to the Father. That you, through admitting, believing, and confessing, can have life to the full. Why is Jesus important? Because he's changed my heart. Is it perfect? No. There are moments where I'm like that kid on the beach and I'm like, man, here's Jesus. But more often than not, I'm like the boy that's working out with Trey and I find excuse after excuse after excuse. Listen, our neighbors need us to run to them. To quit buying into the excuses, to quit buying into the whatever lies that we've bought into, that your story's not good enough, that you're not good enough, or you're trashy, or whatever it is that you're buying into, if you have said yes to Jesus, you have been bought and redeemed and paid for, and God don't buy junk. Quit living like it. Quit believing it. Sit before someone and share your story of a life transformed through Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Jesus, you are the most important thing. But so many times, I make other stuff more important than you. Lord, I pray for us here at Second. Father, that our hearts would just be torn apart and be reminded and be amazed, re-amazed at your grace. 
Father, that the portions of our heart that have been hardened, if we've been around church so long that our hearts have been hardened, Father, may you just strip away some of those calluses and make our heart hurt for our neighbors. Father, may we see our neighbors and our classmates and our workmates in, in ways that we've never seen them before because we, we pray for your eyes. Father, may we pray over LaGrange like you prayed over Jerusalem, that as you came over the top, you began to weep for them because you said they don't even understand who I am. Father, I pray that we would, as followers of Jesus here, that we would so passionately pursue you that even in our imperfections, people would say there's something different about you. Tell me how I can have a life like you've got. Father, may we bring you glory and honor in the way that we live. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.